Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. So, as I was saying last week... Um, You know, I I still feel from the Lord that uh, a solemn assembly is coming uh, for the city. Uh, there are at least two and maybe four other pastors who are on board with doing that. And I, as I said last week, I feel like what the Lord is doing as we go through Revelation 2 and 3 is, is he, he is showing us uh, many of the things that he wants to deal with in, in a solemn assembly. He's, he's showing us that there are indeed uh, deep things for us to repent for. And as, as we look at the church in Sardis uh, this week, as we start chapter 3, uh, the church in Sardis, the culture of Sardis, is, is eerily like the church in America. And, and we, I think the church in every generation has, has to ask this question, are are we impacting the culture or are we being impacted by the culture more? Which, which is it? As I was praying and, and meditating and getting ready this morning, I really felt like, you know, uh, during this legislative session, we, we didn't really have... Uh, uh, a, a bill that that made it anywhere uh, that would legalize or establish gay marriage, uh, and and if we had, I I would have felt compelled to go and speak. But if if I had gone to speak, most of those speaking in favor of it would have been from different churches. And I really would have made my comments more to them than a legislative committee. And because any any time that that we we think we can redefine what God says about sin about himself, about us, uh, about anything. We, we are stepping onto a slippery slope. And that's, that's how theological liberalism got into the church. It's just one idea at a time. And, you know, the cry of, of the reformers was sola scriptura, 
the, the scriptures. <laughs> we we got to hang on to this. We, we got to hang on to the validity of what we have in, in the written word. There, there is power in, in the written word. And, you know, I... I read, sometimes I read a few commentaries, sometimes I don't read any, sometimes I read quite a few, but I, I, I have one that is, it's really a wealth of, of information. The, the guy who wrote it was, uh, it's Barclays, uh, the guy who wrote it is, was a theological liberal of his day, uh, but he's got some good stuff in there, but it's it's like most things that are not this. You you got to eat the chicken and spit out the bones. But in in looking at the church in Sardis, he but he he was saying that the church in Sardis was was it's the dead church, okay? And 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 he he was saying you know it it would be better. If, if they had at least been heretics, if, if, if they had been adopting false doctrine, because at least then they, they probably would have been thinking about these things. And, and I had to think, now come on, Will. William Barclay who wrote this probably in the 1940s or 1950s. I, I can't agree with you on that. Is, is it better to be dead or wrong? There, there's a third option. <laughs> to, to be alive and, and be, be taught our theology by the Holy Spirit and, and the word. How, how about that novel concept? Because when we rely too much on our intellect, uh, as I said a couple weeks ago, it, it, it will often take us down a, a wrong road. And, and the more we embrace the pride of our own thinking in evaluating our ideas, uh, the, the more dangerous that slippery slope becomes. Because, you know, we, we read what, what Paul said when, when he established the churches. He, he says, I, you know, I didn't come with, to you with, with a bunch of wisdom and a, and a bunch of eloquent speaking. But I came to you with the simple gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in, in our intellectualization of theology, we, we can lose a lot. We can lose power. We can become susceptible to things. And I think that's what was going on in, 
in the church in Sardis. Now, before we get into chapter 3, I'll share with you a few things about Sardis. Because as I said, it, it seems to me that it's eerily like the United States. It was, a, it was a, literally a city built on a hill. It was practically an impregnable fortress, which led them to, to great pride and, and sloppiness a couple of times. When there, there was basically one way into the city, a road that, that went into the city, and if, if they were wise, all they had to do was guard that one road coming into their walled city, and uh, it, was, it was safe. They were, they were safe, secure, they were wealthy. It, it was the first place that gold and silver coins were, were made. Uh, probably the, the place where dying wool first was discovered practiced uh, a very wealthy merchant kind of city that was on a, a thoroughfare that was well traveled and there were actually two cities there was the city on the hill and then the city where where the farmers lived while they were working the fields down below but a very intellectual city a very wealthy city <clears throat> a very proud city Proud of their place, proud of their safety, but twice in, in a period of uh, a few hundred years, uh, they came under attack in their city, and, and someone, one of the guards on the wall, dropped their helmet while the city was under siege and, and walked down the, the little trail on, on their side of the city to get their helmet and back up. And the enemies witnessed that and said, ah, there must be two ways in, into the city. And so twice in a few hundred years, uh, they were overpowered, overtaken by armies that, that saw their guards do something really not very smart. And and they waited for an opportune time. They brought their army in through the, the secret trail that led into the city. And, and twice, there weren't any guards on that part of the wall at night. <laughs> and so twice, the, the city fell. Uh, there's, <clears throat> there's a legend about King Crocus of... Uh, Sardis that uh, hasn't really made its way to 21st century America, so you, you probably haven't heard it, but it's uh, to be as wealthy as King Crocus was, was to be probably like wealthy like Bill Gates to us. And, and he was the king of, of the city. So this, this is the, the city that Jesus is speaking to as we start Revelation chapter 3. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us insight uh, 
that you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Um, Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our spirit to what the Spirit is saying to the church. And Jesus, we thank you for speaking to the church. In your name we pray. Amen. So, <clears throat> ironically, we, we have this city on a hill, and Jesus talked about that, about the church being a city on a hill. And a city on a hill should not be easily hidden, right? If, if the people are being salt and light. And, and what we find in, in this case is that the church in Sardis was, was not being salt and light very effectively or very well. It's one church where there's really nothing to commend other than the fact that not all of the people in the church were dead spiritually. So let's, let's see what Jesus was saying to the church in Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis, or to the messenger, possibly pastor, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up! Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, <clears throat> again, we, we have a church where what people think and what God thinks about that church are, are two very different things. Uh, Sardis has a reputation, a name for being alive. 
And what that means is people looking at the church in Sardis thought they were doing fine. They had a reputation for being alive, but the Son of God says they were dead. So, what kind of things would, would cause uh, people to think one thing about a church and God to think another? You, you really don't have to think too hard about that one, do you? I mean, do they have a lot of people? They must be doing, doing well. They must be doing great. How, how are the offerings? Are they, are they bringing in a lot of offerings and able to help other churches and, and have a, a great facility? And they probably had all that. They, they were in a very wealthy city. They, they probably had a, a pretty large church. Uh, there, there was a, a pretty large Jewish population in Sardis at the time. And at that time in the first century, the, the Jewish population, they, they were the ones who were perfectly prepared to hear and receive the gospel. And so that population was, was the first uh, highly Christianized population. But most places, the, the Jewish non-believers were the greatest persecutors of the church. And nothing is even said about that here. Uh, and that, that strikes me as, as kind of odd. And, and so I, I don't know exactly what to think of that. But they, they also were not being persecuted by, by the Gentiles, apparently. And because we, we know in... In Smyrna, there was a lot of persecution, and, and there was even more persecution coming. And in some of the churches, we, we know there were martyrs. But we don't see that in Sardis. Let's, <clears throat> let's look for a, a minute at how Jesus describes himself to, to this church. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And the seven spirits of God is, is kind of a, an interesting phrase, terminology, that we find in Revelation 1 and in here in Revelation 3, it, it probably 
points all the way back to Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1, where it says that a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power or might, and the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. I think that's probably what is, is being referred to here by holding the seven spirits of God. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Or And see, this passage <clears throat> from Isaiah, I think it sheds light into the whole uh, discussion of Revelation 2 and 3. That's why I think there's, there's an important tie here. Back to verse 3. And he, obviously this is a prophecy that is speaking of Jesus in Isaiah 11. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy with justice and he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Lots of similar imagery between Revelation 1 and Isaiah 11, that passage. So, <clears throat> excuse me. This is spoken by the one who holds the seven spirits of God. He, he possesses them, Jesus. And the one who holds the seven stars in his hand. Uh, that's really comforting to, to me because the seven stars are the seven messengers. Some say the seven pastors of, of those seven churches. He, Jesus is holding them in his hand. This, this message is, is going to get through. And the, the seeds that Jesus is sowing with the words in these letters, they, they are going to bear fruit. They're, they're going to grow to maturity. Right, Jerry? <laughs> yeah. So we, we don't have to worry that the seeds that we planted today are not mature tomorrow. Jesus was not worried. But his, his words were going to get through to those seven churches because he was holding the messengers in his hand. But then what does this one say? 
He says, you can thank me for that. <laughs> Attention. This, this was a church that had allowed itself to be lulled to sleep. It wasn't that they were physically dead. They were spiritually asleep at the wheel. And Jesus says, wake up. And the Greek word there means to keep awake, to refrain from sleep or inattention, to be vigilant, to be awake, to be watchful. It speaks of a mindfulness of present dangers and a conscious earnestness and an alert mind to keep one from drowsiness or becoming slack in the energy of faith and conduct. It's, it's a similar word to, to what Jesus used when he said to, to be watchful for his coming. We, we are to be alert. That's how some other translations uh, translate that word. So be alert, be watchful. Recognize that, that we are at war. And... It's, it's a great thing for the enemy to be able to lull soldiers on the other side into sleep. And, you know, one, one of the things about Sardis, and, and you know, we, we see this throughout the Bible, that when things are too easy... the people of God get into all kinds of difficulty. They, they, they get into all kinds of wrong things. But with, with persecution <laughs> come many good things. But it's, it's like the enemy, when he sees... Uh, some forces on the other side that are no longer a threat to him. He he moves his forces <laughs> to to come against those who who are more of a threat to him. And when we compare what Jesus is saying to Sardis with the other churches, that that's what comes to mind. You know the. These guys weren't having any problems because they, they weren't causing any problems for the other side. And so the enemy could say, well, <laughs> you guys are fine. Just go <laughs> keep doing what you're not doing and, or doing what you're doing and not doing what you're not doing and I'll, I'll go over to Thyatira and Pergamos and some of the others. Uh, I mean, 
it's, what does Jesus say? He said, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. I don't want the judge to say that to me. I, I want the judge to say something like he said to Pergamos. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your serving. Uh, to, to these guys who I, I envision a, a large, wealthy church, but asleep at the wheel. A city on a hill with, without a light shining. It's when Joy and I go home at night and it's dark and there aren't any lights on. You, you can't even see that our house is there. And we, we joke we're practicing for blackout. <laughs> it looks like there's nothing there. That's kind of how this church was. They were practicing for blackout. It, it was as if the rest of the world didn't even know they were there. And it, it, it seems to me uh, and that probably the greatest problem, maybe, maybe the root problem, in, in Sardis was selfishness or self-centeredness. And this is why I think this. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is selfishness or self-centeredness. Because the, the kind of love that the New Testament talks about that we are to walk in and that God has for us is, is a commitment of the will for the good of, of another. And so you point that 180 degrees to find the opposite and you have a people who are completely committed to their own good. and not really caring about the rest of the world. And if, if you have a church like that, you're, you're going to have this kind of situation where, where Jesus says, I know your works and, and they, are, they are incomplete. They've, they've not been accomplished to the end. They've not been made perfect. They've not been fulfilled. They've not been complete. 
it speaks to me of when Paul in Corinthians talks about how our works are, are going to pass through the fire. And, and those things that we've done in love out of the motivation of the Holy Spirit, they're, they're going to pass through that fire and they're going to be gold and silver for us. And once again, it's, it's those things that we have done. But those things that are just wood, hay, and stubble, when they pass through the fire of judgment, they're just going to burn. And there's going to be nothing left, nothing complete. And that was the problem in Sardis. There, there is a pressure of the spirit of the world that, that is real, that sometimes can be felt when you're pushing against it. And in the second letter to Timothy, Paul was, was talking about this. He says in 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self. That's exactly what I've been talking about. Lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious, gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. And that last verse defines Sardis. Actually, the whole passage does. The first part shows us how they got there. They, they had a form of religion. But it had no power. Which is why they were not a threat to the enemy. They, they were too self-involved, too self-focused. Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll go to church today, but let's, I hope he doesn't go over an hour. <laughs> they wouldn't have come here very often. Uh, I want to share what a couple other translators, how they translated that last verse. Moffat translates that last verse. Though they keep up a form of religion, they will have nothing to do with it. 
as a force. And Phillips translates it, they will maintain a facade of religion, but their conduct will deny its validity. Yeah, ouch. And see, I think that's what was going on in Sardis. And is it what's going on in America? You know, I, I know there are bright spots in, in the church in America, just as there were in Sardis, because there were those who had not soiled their clothes. There, there were those who, who were pressing in, who, who were not asleep, who, who were not dead, who, who were still holding on to God. But it doesn't sound like there were many. And when, when you consider the, the number of people in America in, in various polls who identify themselves as being Christian, and you evaluate the question, are, are we influencing culture or is culture influencing the church? Um, it's, it's, it's pretty clear to me uh, what the answer to that is, which, which way it's, it's going primarily. But the great thing is, <clears throat> and this is a good thing, you and I are not responsible for anybody else. You're responsible for you. I'm responsible for me. We, as a people, we're, we're not responsible for Denver. But we do hold some responsibility for Cheyenne. And, and this is, is my vision, our vision, for the Cheyenne Vineyard. And I, I probably should articulate this a lot more than I do verbally. I, I try to speak it by who I am and how I live and what I do. But our, I'm, I'm going to read this because I, I thought it was, I put it down kind of in a complete manner. My vision from the Lord for us, for Cheyenne Vineyard, in this city is that we be an outpost for the kingdom of heaven in this city. That each of us would be equipped to hear God and obey God. That each of us would be equipped to minister to people out in the city.
that we would be conscious carriers or bringers of the presence of God to the city. That we would bring healing, that we would bring the presence of God, that we would bring the blessing of God to our city. And for this, we will be responsible. Because it is, it's my understanding that that's what the people of God are to do, where, where we are. And, and we, we bring the kingdom in, in a couple primary ways. One way that we bring the kingdom is when we live according to God's ways. You know, I've, I've spent a fair amount of time over the years pointing you to Deuteronomy 28. Because it's, it's an Old Testament picture of what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes. When, when we obey God and do our relationships, we do our work, we do our recreation, we, we do life according to his ways, all these blessings just come. And, and the crazy thing about that is you, you don't even have to be born again. It's true. If, if you just live according to God's ways, you'll be blessed. Look at the Jews. For thousands of years, that's what they've been doing. They've lived according to God's ways primarily, His Old Testament law ways, but they have been blessed to the extent that most of the rest of the world does not like them. So that's, that's one way that we bring the kingdom to the city is we, we live according to God's ways. We, we know his ways because we know his word and we live according to his ways when we obey the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit won't lead us against what's revealed here. And the other way is by bringing the presence of God. That's the other way that we bring the kingdom to our city is by being, and, and this only born-again people can do. So this is our exclusive inheritance. As people who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, we, we can bring that presence anywhere we go. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are available to us anywhere we go in, in this city. And, and we can pray for people. We can pray for places. 
You, you can carve out a territory where you work and ask the kingdom of God to come where you work. And some people will love it and some people will hate it. Because we are a really good fragrance to some who are being saved and to those who are fighting it and resisting it with everything they have, we are a stench. So don't be surprised when someone comes against you. But be pleased that someone would come against you because you're bringing the kingdom. Then you can say, I'm not like Sardis. <sighs> I don't want to be like Sardis. So, back to that question of, you know, is the church impacting the culture more or is the culture impacting the church more? <clears throat> that leads to many other questions. Okay. And if if we were a bunch of really radical jihadist Muslims, it would be easy. Cuz the answer would be, well, we're going to institute sharia law and we're just going to kill all the infidels. Everybody who disagrees with us. That, that would be fairly easy. But that's not an option for us. The church tried that a couple times. Did not go well. It's not part of the solution. Because... You know, we, we represent this, this God who is full of love and grace and mercy, but also justice and honor. And, and so, you know, th this is something that I, I want all of us to struggle with. Because when, when, when we see abortion, uh, when, when we see marriage under attack, when, when we see so many other things that are happening in, in our culture that, that are, are not going the right way, what, how, how do we influence culture? And the answer isn't always easy. Let's, let's take abortion, for example. 
Uh, many of us in, in the church, uh, Gloria, who leads Life Choice Pregnancy Center, was and still sort of is a member of our church, but she married Father Tim from the Anglican Church, uh, so we don't get to see her very often anymore. But supporting their ministry is, is a really good way to influence the culture. But if, if, we're, if we're going to influence a culture uh, away from abortion, it, it means that there may be more unwanted children. So doing something like Randy and Marty and adopting is, is a, a real kingdom of God way to influence the culture in that way. And raising them the way you guys do. The ways aren't always obvious. You know, I, I think one thing that we can all do is we, we can ask our elected representatives uh, why and when did things really change? In, in the kinds of laws that we pass. Because there, there's, a, there's a, a truth in the ministry of propaganda that if, if you say a lie loud enough and long enough, people will begin to agree with it. And one of the lies that has impacted our culture is you can't legislate morality. Well, what else do you legislate? You <laughs> morality is right and wrong, right? And what does the law tell you? what's right and wrong, what we're going to punish you for and what we're going to say, okay, you can do that. So when did we abandon in our legislative processes legislating morality and begin to legislate tolerance? that 
it's, it's no longer acceptable to be against something. It's, it's no longer acceptable to say anything against certain things. See, things, things have gotten really out of whack. But I, I encourage us to, to consider how, and, and, and prayerfully consider, how, how do we influence the culture? Because I, I've been living for, for a few years with prophetic vision from the Lord that, that he was going to do something in this city that, that was big enough in, in his kingdom realm that the very culture of the city would be changed, transformed. And... We, we don't necessarily have to wait for all of that to happen after he pours out his spirit. There, there may very well be things that, that we could do now. So I, I think... When our city council, when our legislators are, are considering certain issues, it might be really important for some of the people of God to help them frame their discussion, their arguments in a proper way. That's, that's all I'm going to say about that. Now, the promises to this church. Jesus says, There are a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. White clothing is symbolic of purity and holiness. It's interesting in the ancient world into which this letter was written, it also represented victory and celebration. But it's possible to be dressed in white and to be found worthy in the midst of a church that's dead. <laughs> so remember, you're only responsible for yourself and what God asks you to do. <laughs> but you're not responsible for somebody else's life or their choices just your own.
And we know in Revelation 1 that Jesus was dressed in radiant white. And I think all this, this picture of white garments, to me it speaks back to the transfiguration. When Jesus was on the mountain with, with just three of his disciples and all of a sudden Moses and Elijah were right there. And all of a sudden, Jesus' clothing uh, became so bright they, they couldn't even look at it. And, and that was a picture of the glory that he was about to enter into. And I think these words are an encouragement to us that we will also be entering into that kind of glory. And to the overcomers, he who overcomes will, like those, be dressed in white. And I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. So there's, see, there's even hope for those who are dead. If, if they will overcome their spiritual deadness and, and begin to pursue God again, there's white garments for them as well. And their names... He will never blot their name from the book of life to those who overcome, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. So to those who are overcoming, they are not denying Jesus. So they will not be denied by Jesus. And it's interesting talking about kingdoms. Back in the ancient world when they had kings and kingdoms, that a, a king had, had a book with the names of all the subjects in his kingdom. But if you committed a crime against the kingdom or against the king... your name got taken out of the book. You weren't part of that kingdom anymore. I'm glad we have the king that we have. <laughs> hmm. Who has so much mercy and gives so many second and third and 152nd chances. Because he's, he's trying to build a certain heart within us. That's what he's doing on, on this earth. So 
Remember the vision. And, and let me just close with that. Because this has been the reason behind so many of the special training events, special speakers that we have had come in over the last few years has been to equip us. It's been to get us thinking differently. Because we, we need our minds renewed. We, ne- we need to think more like God thinks. Because for Him, when He thinks about you and me, there there are this many opportunities to, to touch the world, to bring his kingdom. When, when we just think about it in and of ourselves, it tends to be a lot smaller. And, you know, that, the whole idea of repentance <laughs> is about expanding Because we're, we're getting out of our own little box that we've made that is not consistent with God's truth or his thinking or, or his ways. And he's, he's wanting to take us out of that little box and, and, and put us in a green field next to a stream <laughs> where, where we can think big again. That's, that's a true idea of repentance. It's, it's breaking agreement with what the enemy says, really, about ourselves, about others, about whatever, and agreeing with God's higher thinking. Because his ways and his thoughts are higher than our ways and our thoughts. And they're bigger and more powerful. So again, let me just finish with, with this vision and then pray. So my vision from the Lord for us, for Cheyenne Vineyard in this city, is that we be an outpost for the kingdom of heaven in this city. That each of us would be equipped to hear God and obey him that each of us would be equipped to minister to people out in the city, that we would be conscious carriers or bringers of the presence and peace of God to this city, that we would bring healing and bring his presence and his ways to our city. And Lord, that that is my prayer for us as a people. And this is your work. You're, You're the only one who can do this with us. And I know that it is your heart that this would take place. So Lord, grow the tree. Grow the seed. 
that's within us. Give it light, give it water, give it nourishment, let it grow. And Lord, bless these people with a new consciousness to you and your kingdom and to the needs of people that we encounter. And then let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in us and in our city that we would not be like Sardis. And we pray in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.